Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffenroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm going to be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. On today's episode, Gina Human shares her inspirational success story about conquering reactive attachment disorder. Gina is a wife, mother, architect, designer, instructor, author, speaker, and adoption advocate. She and her husband, Aaron, adopted Landry in 2001 from Guatemala and then went back for Maddox three years later. Maddox has reactive attachment disorder. Gina's love of learning and dedication as a mother inspired her to research different treatments and therapies that eventually led to her inspirational success story about conquering RAD. She's the author of the book and memoir, Love Never Quits, which recounts Gina's whole experience of learning to raise a child with RAD through its pitfalls and the eventual success of holding a family together and seeing their son thrive. Gina, thanks for joining me today. And I'm really curious and excited to talk with you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Tell me a little bit about your story of adoption. Oh, well, where, where would you like me to start? (laughs) (laughs) Um, we, went through four years of infertility first as many people do and then decided to adopt um actually came to the conclusion that we are meant to adopt because i truly feel like that's how we ended up here right (laughs) that we were meant to be here so we you know looked into all different types of adoption we ended up in guatemala because at the time and this was like 20 years ago (laughs) guatemala was very popular it was open at the time international adoption was so much easier than it is now and than it is than it was to adopt domestically and honestly after four years of um trying to get pregnant and just wanting a family i just wanted to be on a list and have my name called and go get my baby right Um, you know i didn't want any more uncertainty with birth mothers who may or may not pick me and then may change their mind and like i just wanted to get my ticket and go get it (laughs) (laughs) yeah let's get this started Yeah. yeah yeah and so why did you pick guatemala Um, You know, we started out with Russia and Eastern Europe because that was like, that was the popular place. There were three popular places at the time, China, Russia, and Eastern Europe, and then Guatemala. Those were like the big three at the time. And we did look at some other smaller countries as well. Started like, we had some friends that went to China and got two little girls and we were all there at the airport when the kids landed. And it was such a cool experience that I was like, oh, we're going to do that. You know, but then we kind of wanted a boy and China doesn't really have a lot of boys. So, right. (laughs) So so we nixed China and then we were like, okay, well, we'll go to Russia and we'll get a kid that looks like us. Although my husband looks nothing like me. So, (laughs) 
Now, are you yeah. Russian? You're Russian? <laughs> no, oh, okay. I'm Swedish, but, you know, we were like, okay, we'll get a kid with the same color skin. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> you know, but sure. in the end, we were like, you know what? We're not, we don't care that much about that. Mm-hmm. We just want a baby. And I was president of Spanish club in high school, and I've always just loved the, the culture. And so we looked at Guatemala. We actually... Um, my husband worked with a lady who had adopted three kids from Guatemala and she invited us over for dinner and they were so cute that I was like, all right, let's go tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like you're connected to a lot of, or, you know, a lot of other families who have been through adoption or have adopted oh, their yeah. children. We're very active in heritage camps for adoptive families, which is based here in Colorado. Um, they have 11, maybe maybe nine, I don't know. They keep changing the number, but they have camps for people who've adopted. It's a family camp. It's the whole weekend. So it's like Thursday through Sunday. They put the kids in age appropriate groups and they learn cultural activities. They have a class or an art project they do that's based on adoption and communication and things like that. They do a charity project. It's really cool. We have a fiesta. We, we eat all Latin American foods. And so we've been going to this camp for like 13 years now. Wow. <laughs> and so were you a part of that before you adopted? Did you start getting into that or no? Once you no, adopted? Um, we adopted when we, we lived in Minnesota the first time. Then the second time we adopted in Chicago. And the third time we were in Denver. Or I mean, no, we only have two kids. But but. <laughs> By then we were in Denver and we met a family that was on a hike and they had a child that was obviously adopted. So we stopped and chatted and they're like, you guys need to know about this camp. And at the time we had just moved here and the camp had just happened. So she's like, well, yours was like last weekend. She goes, but remember it for next year. Well, over that next year, my son was having some issues with his skin color (laughs) And we go to a school that is mostly white and he was the only brown kid in his class and they were doing a a self-portrait and he, he got really upset, even though he loves school and he loves art projects. Apparently he was so stressed out about the fact that he didn't have the right color marker. Like all the other kids use the peach marker, but if he uses the brown marker, you can't see his eyes or his mouth. So he was just distraught about this. And so I told his teacher what was happening. Um, She went out and bought multicultural markers, which were brand new at the time. And now they're like everywhere. And she postponed the project and she found him the right color and she matched his skin and it all turned out fine. But at that time I was like, wait, where, where was that adoption camp that lady told us about? Because I was not prepared for this. And what else is there going to be out there that I might not know about? Right, right. So, I mean, something I never thought of was getting the right marker. And is the, <laughs> no, exactly. And what an amazing teacher to just, yeah. you know, postpone and keep, make sure she's got everything. That is awesome. Yeah. So the camp is it for international adoptees or any any adoptees? There's, there's actually several different camps. I can't remember what the number is right now. It's either nine or 11, but they had to combine some of them because some of the Asian countries are no longer open for adoption. So they're not getting new people and okay. they're dwindling. So I think they combined some of the Southeast Asian countries together. But um, there's a domestic adoption camp, there's a Latin American heritage camp, there's a Russian and Eastern Europe camp, there's an African and Caribbean camp. So, wow, I had no idea. 
it's it's really cool and honestly that's our that's our lifesaver you know like we know all these families who've adopted before us who tell us what to expect or have resources or know of you know good therapists or good people to talk to so it's camp has been amazing that is amazing <laughs> to be connected to because those are all the questions that's what everybody wants to know exactly and you want to learn from people who have done it yeah, yeah. anybody out there is adopting or has already adopted i encourage you to look for a camp they have um, other camps like this in minnesota and i think there's some on the east coast so just you know look it up but <laughs> and the one the one you're talking about is in colorado in Colorado. Ours okay. is up in um, the mountains and it's okay. beautiful. And we just go and stay in the mountains for a week and every year. It's beautiful. And-, and just to have a support group. Now, talking about reactive attachment disorder, a few things. One, I want to ask about the camp and if there's any support or at least maybe just other families that you can connect with that are going through something similar. And the real thing that I want to get to is you know, interviewing people and talking to people, when I see conquering rad or a success story, inspirational, holding a family together, everything that I saw on your website (laughs) and your son is thriving, those are not very common stories or results with families with rad. So that's the other piece I'm really excited to talk about because I think a lot of us are wondering if that's possible and how it happens. But Back to the camp. Do you uh, do you know any other families that have adoptive kiddos with RAD or? You know, um, I I started speaking at the camps uh, last summer, and I have now found a ton of families who've gone through RAD. So it seems like you would, yeah. And especially at our um, domestic adoption camp, it seems like in foster care, it's it's a lot more common. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how does that feel for families? Or do you know, like, is it a uh, part of the support? Um, yeah, it's really stressful. Um, I don't know anybody that's a close friend that went through rad, but I do know a lot of close friends who have plenty of issues with their kids, like either a mild attachment issue or ADD or, you know, executive function issues. It seems like, and, and actually I heard a statistic that like 85 percent of adopted kids have some sort of executive function disorder. So, you know, we all struggle a little bit. (laughs) Right. That is such a true fact right there. So tell me a little bit more about, so Maddox is the one that has reactive attachment disorder Mm -hmm. and you adopted Maddox also from Guatemala. Yeah. They, uh, both of my kids were six months old when they came home, but they, they had completely different early experiences. My, okay older son's birth mom was like older. She had six kids already. She was not sure if she was going to place him for adoption or not. So she took really good care of him in the womb. She met us, which was amazing. And, you know, she just, she worked, she had a job working for a family that owned a restaurant. So it said in her home study, she got paid in money and food. So we're like, okay, so he probably got some protein or some good nutrition My other son's birth mother was, um, I think like 17. She already had a baby with special needs of some sort. And in Guatemala, they don't do, you know, psychological testing. So we have no idea what it means. It could be Down syndrome. It could be bipolar. Who knows? (laughs) Maybe, maybe it was another rad kid. (laughs) True. 
but we we knew that she had a three-year-old already and she was 17 and so you know she's also from a very remote part of guatemala that's known for malnutrition so we're like okay so early life they both didn't get what they needed or one of them got what he needed the other didn't and then they went into foster care and my older son, Landry, his um, his foster family is friends with us on Facebook still to this day. He was their first foster baby. Really? Yeah, they, they had four kids and it, this was about the time they would have another kid. And so they decided instead to become foster parents. And so they wrote us letters. They sent us gifts. We sent gifts back. It was just it was the most idyllic experience right. <laughs> from an adoption standpoint. And then the second one, uh, we believe he was neglected. So he was, he sh now that I know what to look for, um, he showed all the signs of neglect, but we didn't know that we needed to look for that. You know, right. like he, when we first got him, he was like diving across the table to get food. And we thought that meant he had a good appetite, you know, actually <laughs> he was starving to death. Mm -hmm. So... And he was cranky and just difficult from day one. And you said they, he was six months. They were six months both when you got him. Okay. Yeah. And did you know anything about Rad going in? No. And you Not had this, sure. you know, I mean, in a sense, perfect first adoption, yeah. right? <laughs> and and yeah. lucky you, right? <laughs> lucky you for at least having that but this will be interesting I know but I always say if, if my first or if my second one was my first one I would have only had one right <laughs> I mean, there's oh. no way I would have gone back for another one no no and, and actually we thought about going back to get a girl when we went to get Maddox you know we were at the hotel with all the other adoptive families and I see all the cute little baby girls and the cute hats and stuff and I'm like oh maybe we'll come back and get a girl and then Maddox screamed the entire five-hour flight home really? and as soon as he landed I was like you know I think two is good I'm, I'm good <laughs> wow oh my gosh so you started seeing behaviors that initially you thought were positive and then obviously not right so how did you know, or what did you start feeling or doing at that point? You know, we were begging for help. It started with the pediatrician. You know, I said like, he is cranky and he's, he has these meltdown tantrums that last like four hours at a time and he's inconsolable and I don't know what to do. And she said, oh, it's the terrible twos, you know, and then it's, well, sometimes those terrible twos can extend into threes. Well, sometimes they can extend into fours. And I kept going, no, this is not normal. Like I know other people with kids. I have another kid. This is not normal, but she wouldn't listen to me. So, and I think that's, it's a frustrating thing being an adoptive parent, because I think a lot of, you know, people out there think, well, they must not know anything because they're not real parents. Right. And that is so frustrating. So um, I begged and begged and begged. I finally got a sleep test because he was not sleeping through the night. He was getting up like five or six or eight times a night. Which means so were you. Yeah. And my husband and I were exhausted, like beyond exhausted. At one point when he was old enough, he would, you know, come in our bed every night. And I tried to put the, you know, put him back in his room eventually we were so dead tired that he would just climb over us and get in bed and we'd wake up and we'd be like, well, where did he come from? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, he was, he was 
And then still to this day, he's a night owl. He's up at all hours of the night. I don't think he sleeps through the night, but we had a sleep test, found out he was awake like six times an hour. And so we were like, oh, well, we'll just get his tonsils and adenoids out and that's got to fix the problem. Right. Well, then it was, then it didn't fix the problem. And then, you know, we saw a specialist and they, he looked at him for all of like three minutes and said, oh, it's ADD, obviously here's some medicine. Mm. And then after that, it just turned into, well, you know, maybe it's not the right medicine. And, you know, each medicine takes six weeks to build up in your system. So, you know, after two weeks, if it's not working and you're living in hell and the doctor's like, we'll just keep going. You're like, okay. Oh my so, gosh. I mean, he went through so many different medications. You know, they changed his med, his diagnosis so many times. It yeah. was AD, it was uh, bipolar, it was um, sensory processing disorder. It was ODD, like every letters you could throw out there, nice. they threw out. And never once did anybody mention Rad to me until he was like 10 years old. Wow. And you know, I hear that's very common. And I've talked with a couple of therapists and ADHD is, I think they say all kids with Rad, if not all, get that diagnosis sometime along the line, right? And why right. do you think they didn't see Rad? Is it that they didn't know about it or do you know? Yeah, I don't know because I, I know it when we first started, like it was a relatively new diagnosis, but you would think the further we got into it, but it was an intern that diagnosed him. He was a, he was an intern working for our psych psychiatrist. Wow. She had suggested some individual appointments with him. He was doing like group therapy with them, but it was so expensive. And like the therapist who ran the groups was really expensive. And she said, well, you know what? I have a guy who's an intern, but I think he'd be great to work with Maddox. He was Hispanic. He was, um, he was a young guy. He was a veteran, you know? And so wow. one was obsessed with the army. So he was like, he was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and they would do like therapy on walks to McDonald's and get an ice cream cone or they'd go to the park and so he always looked forward to it and at one point he's the one that gave me articles on red and he said has anybody mentioned this to you and I said no I've never even heard of it and he said well read these articles and see what you think and I was like oh this is it this is this is what we've been dealing with all along and how old was Maddox at that time when he was seeing he was this intern? 10 yeah 10 10 yeah. So you went through from six months old to 10 yeah. with going and through this battle of struggling with figuring out what's going on, trying to get help and then finally getting the diagnosis. Okay. Yes. And, um, you know, in the meantime, we tried the brain balance program. Yeah. We tried, you know, like anything you could throw oh out feedback. Like we're like, oh yeah, we'll try it. We'll try it. Like right. we're money into whatever oh. will help. I laugh at this part because the more conversations I have, this is the common thread is, and of course, right. You think parents would do anything, but really that's what happens. I mean, you're looking for anything I know. at Holy grail. Right. And really you do try everything. Not surprising. Yeah. So, and, and now we're getting to the point where my older kid is a teenager and he's like, well, how come we can't afford to go on vacation? Well, cause you've spent all this stupid money on therapy. You're like, right. he was not happy about that. No. <laughs> no, and, you know, we, and I, I researched something. I'm like, Oh, we should try this. And my husband's like, yeah, okay, we'll try that. And my son's like, 
how much is that going to cost? Like how many more vacations do we have to miss? And, you know, it's frustrating, but we're like, it's family. Family comes first. Right. Right. And we have to help him. So. So did Maddox work with this clinician, this intern for a long time? What started happening after that? He left, um, maybe after like a year. Okay. Because he was a student and he got like a job somewhere. He was really cool. And then after that, we, we honestly didn't know what to do. Um, we got to a point where sixth grade, he went to middle school, middle school. Oh my God. His sensory issues just went crazy because there's all these kids in the hallway and they're slamming lockers and it's loud and it's chaotic. And that's not a good environment for a rad kid. Plus now he's having to change classes and his anxiety was so bad. So there was an incident in the classroom (laughs) where um, they cleared out the classroom. They brought in the police and everything and he didn't do anything. He he apparently grabbed a scissor and um, just held it, but she said in a threatening manner. And so they evacuated the classroom and they called me at work and I was in the middle of this really important meeting and I kept getting phone calls and my husband was like you have to go get him and so that uh at that point we knew there that we were really in big trouble like we have to get this taken care of now a few weeks later we had switched him to a different school uh we have we are very lucky we have a school in our district for kids with social and behavioral issues Wow. Really small classes. Like he had between two and six kids in every class. He got really good one-on-one attention. He did really well there. And they had very strict rules because of the type of population they, they were with. And that was good for him. Um, but he still was having some incidents at school, um, especially in the transition period. And at one of those, he ended up in the juvenile detention center for an assessment. So he was there and they told me I couldn't pick him up until like five o'clock in the evening. It was like noon. And I was like, what are you going to say to my kid for five hours without me? And they're like, well, we need to find out what's going on at home. And I thought that was the day I would lose both of my kids. Yes. you know, with rad kids, they don't always tell the truth. So I had no idea what he was going to say to these people. And I thought I would lose both my kids. Yeah. that day. You know, the minute you said that my stomach just dropped because I, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terrifying because they're not honest and they manipulate the situation. Right. And then, yeah, you're not there. Ugh, okay. Keep going. Yeah. So it, it, it turns out he was, he was honest. He stayed there. He talked to them. Um, I showed up, they said, well, after five hours of questioning with all these different people, we think he has reactive attachment disorder. Wow. <laughs> so they knew about it too. Thank <laughs> God. And at that point I was like, wow. okay, no kidding. What am I going to do about it? Right. <laughs> like I know the diagnosis now, but what can I do? And right. so you know, they were like, well, here's a list of therapists. And at that point I just kind of went crazy. And I was like, okay, do you know how many therapists I've been to? I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried the other thing. I said, I, there's nobody on this list. I've never talked to. I'm sure. Right. And this intern peeks her head around the corner. And like my whole story has been saved by young people. <laughs> right. Interns. <laughs> <laughs> turn, uh, peeks her head around the corner and she goes I have an idea and I said okay I'll take anything yes said, well my friend is doing an internship at this therapy center up in Evergreen and 
They are world-renowned specialists in reactive attachment disorder. Do you want the number? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I do. And so, you know, I called that guy on the way home. I think he called me back the next day. We talked for like over an hour and he knew exactly what we were going through. Oh like, it's just amazing. It's like, it's like we finally found the right person. Mm-hmm. And we did a two week family intensive with him, which was um, four hours a day, five days a week, four therapists and all four of us. And so like, sometimes it was just me and my husband in a room with two therapists and the kids were doing like art therapy. Sometimes all four of us were together. Um, a lot of time Landry spent uh, sleeping on the couch in the lobby because he wasn't always the the main part of the story. So he got a little frustrated with that. But all in all, like there were a couple things that happened during that therapy that I swear to God were like the turning point. Okay, what were they? So one, they did this, we call it like flip chart therapy. So the therapist has like a flip, one of those big flip charts you use in a meet, business meeting and he's, you know, writing down ideas and he's showing them how, you know, uh, he has to get to these different bubbles in order to have more freedom. And, and then he gets to this point where he says, let's brainstorm. Maddox, tell me, what do babies need? And so we made this list and it was things like, you know, they need milk, they need a place to sleep, they need, you know, diapers. And so this list gets long and then he flips to the next page and he says, now let's talk about how babies bond with their caregivers. So, you know, touching, cuddling, you know, we talked about all that stuff. We made a list and then he, he goes back and he talks about birth mom and he talks about uh, um, foster mom and he says, okay, let's go back to these lists. On this first list, the things that you needed, like to survive you got most of those things from this foster mom she technically did her job she kept you alive but on this list the love and the cuddling and the you know talking in a special voice and the eye contact and those type of things you didn't get those at all and it was not your fault and it had nothing to do with you you're not a bad baby you were not a bad person she was just a terrible caregiver And he stressed that a lot, not your fault, not your fault, not your fault. And after this, like, this is like an hour probably. And so he says, well, we're gonna leave the room now. And here's what I want you to do. And we're holding him like he's a baby and he's Mm -hmm. 12, not small. So (laughs) yeah, holding him like a baby. And and he says, uh, we're gonna leave the room and I just want you guys to sit there and be there for each other. And when you're ready, we'll, uh, we'll be out in the hall. And I looked at my husband, I'm like, okay, we've been here an hour. I'm ready. Like, what do right. we do? The minute that door closed, he cried for like 20 minutes straight, like cried and cried and cried and cried. And towards the end, he started reaching for us and snuggling with us, which he had never done before. Wow. <laughs> I get goosebumps just hearing that. And, and I swear that was the turning point. Like he finally understood that it wasn't his fault, Mm. that it, this is something that is, that happened to him that we can overcome. So like, that was, I think the first minute that he really understood that it wasn't his fault. 
And then the next day we did, we did another therapy where he, he held a teddy bear. He got to pick one off this huge wall of teddy bears. And I, I knew exactly which one he'd pick. <laughs> I bet you did. Sizes and shapes. And I was like, I know he's going to pick that one. And he did, um, but that became baby Maddox. And so he had to tell like coached by all these therapists, tell baby Maddox, the story of, you know, his birth mom and his foster mom. And then, you know, they kept saying, you're going to, some of these things are going to be hard for baby Maddox to hear. So you're going to have to cuddle with him and snuggle with him and tell him everything's going to be okay. So I think that was really important too, because he kind of went back and gave himself some of right. the love that he didn't get as a baby. And now we have, we have baby Maddox teddy bear upstairs. Wow. <laughs> bed. I mean, he's, he's going to be 17. He's still there. Yeah. That's <laughs> hugely meaningful. And so where was this again? This was at the Evergreen Evergreen Psychotherapy Center with Dr. Levy. He was amazing. And he just has his way of talking to at least my son, like, you know, like he's a man, like he didn't talk down to him. Like he was a little kid. He was like, look, you need to be, you know, you need to grow up and you need to be accountable for these things, but we're going to help you. This wasn't your fault. Like he's just really understanding. He's an Mm -hmm. amazing guy. (laughs) He sounds amazing. Is he still there? He's still there. We still check in with him on occasion. I mean, you know, we we have a great success story, but he's Mm -hmm. not a hundred percent better. Right. Right. um, We still have some food issues and, um, you know, he still has anxiety, but it's just, he's not destroying my house and trying to kill me anymore, mm-hmm. which I will take, you know, like right. he's doing good in school. He has friends now, like he doesn't flip out at all. Like he's actually very mellow now. So, so talk a little bit about that. Like what was happening at home that was really scary, rad stuff. And then how and you've kind of said it, but then maybe reiterate how it is better now. Yeah. So, um, four hour meltdown tantrums when he was really little, throwing things, punching holes in the wall, kicking holes in the wall, throwing furniture through the wall. I have had my walls repaired so many times. Um, The scary point was when he took a butcher knife out and threw it at his brother. Wow. Um, That was one of the times when we were like, holy shit, this is serious. We have to, and and I was so on the fence for the longest time about calling the police because you know, that's not gonna do any good. Right. And it's just going to start a file and then, you know, what does that do? So, I mean, he needed healing. He didn't need jail. Right. Right. So, so that was, uh, that was hard. So the knife incident, then we had to lock up all our knives and, you know, made it really hard to cook dinner. Um, when, then we had an incident where he punched me in the head while I was sound asleep at three in the morning. Oh my gosh. Um, I thought my husband had rolled over and like hit me in the head and I look up and my son is standing like two inches from my face with a, Ugh. with one of those angry looks like, like you'd see in the, one of those horror films, you know, the little kid that's like, yeah, that was mine. Wow. Um, and I woke up several times with him standing next to me, but this was the only time he actually like lashed out at me. And it was, it was terrifying. And then I slept with one eye open for like years. Oh, <laughs> I bet. I so afraid of, you know, and my, my people would say, oh, you need to lock your door at night. But I'm like, okay, he's a nine-year-old little boy. Like if he needs his mom, I want to be here for him. But at the same time, I, 
a little scared of him. So, right. You know, during that time, or even now, a lot of families and parents and moms, especially end up with PTSD or depression, stress, you know, did you experience any of that? And do you now? I I'm, um, I'm better now. I have, I have a great therapist that helped me like go through my PTSD, but mine actually got worse once he started getting better. And it was because I was so waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, I was just waiting for him to, to flip out or, you know, break a window or, you know, something it didn't happen. So it was, it was crazy. (laughs) Um, so, so yeah, my anxiety just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I eventually, um, discovered that I had PTSD. So (laughs) didn't know that was a thing. I kept thinking that was reserved for veterans. Right. I did too. I thought, you know, you had to be in combat and have these horrible memories and experiences. Yeah. That took me a long time to accept for myself too. Yeah. Well, especially since you're spending so much money on your kids therapy that you're like, I can, I'm an adult. I'm fine. I'm good. (laughs) Right. Or I'm the adult. I'm supposed to be okay. I should be holding this together. Right. Oh yeah. The attachment center that you were at and evergreen, is that someplace that anybody can access or how do you get connected with that? Um, yeah, it's Evergreen Psychotherapy Center. It's Dr. Levy. He's amazing. He actually travels all over the world and does like presentations to like Japan. And I know he's been to like all sorts of Eastern European countries and he talks about how to help kids with RAD. So he's amazing. He came to my book launch. He's really cool. He's part of the family now, sort of. Uh That is amazing. So life now, Maddox is... He's going to be 17. Wow. He's a junior. He's um, academically behind because of all the stuff that was going on in his head, but he's doing okay. I mean, he's, he's passing most of his classes, so... Right, that's great. And is he at home with you? Uh, yeah, right now he's, um, we're schooling from home too. So. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's home. He's doing great. He's got a girlfriend. She lit, she, the minute he asked her out, her family moved to South Carolina. So oh my <laughs> gosh. four years and then, Aww. yeah. And then with COVID and everything, her family moved away. So, um, the ultimate just, heartbreak, <laughs> I know she just came to visit, but, um, she has, a sister with rad. So it's kind of interesting that she sort of understands what he's been through. And her mom, especially too, is like, I'm so impressed with him that he went through all that. And he's such a gentleman, like he's really a sweet kid. Wow. You know, just listening to your story, it sounds like you've hit a lot of strokes of luck, like the right people at the right time or Maybe not timely enough, but it's um, <laughs> 10 years later, but yeah, yeah lucky. <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Which I think is rare. So I love hearing this and I think it's, it kind of reiterates the importance of finding the right people or being able to have access to the right people, because again, it's not very often we hear success stories and the fact that it is possible, but I think the key ingredient is finding the right people and there's not enough of them out there yet. You were talking about earlier about the intern and I'm not surprised it was somebody younger because they had more current information, but even 
you know, 20 years later, when I talked to other therapists, it's still not being taught at graduate school or it's a little piece of a course. So it's still such a unknown out there and there aren't enough people. So I love hearing uh, the heritage camps, the uh, evergreen center, Dr. Levy, Dr. Levy. Yep. So just to kind of put that out there now, you did write a book. Tell me about that. Well, it's a lot more about our story in more detail, starting with like how we came to our decision to adopt and everything. And then through my son was finally on the road to recovery. So it's uh, hopefully good. (laughs) I've heard people are like, I laughed, I cried. And so I I tried to put a little everything. I tried to make it so it wasn't depressing. Like I read a lot of books about rad that are like, oh my God, this is horrible. Like I put some of that in there. But then at the same time, I was really careful not to put in too many things that would embarrass him. Mm So, you know, he approved everything that went in the book. Um, We actually had many discussions at the kitchen table about whether or not I should be doing this. And he ultimately said, if it's gonna, if you think it'll help anybody, we should do it. He speaks with me sometimes. I do some presentations on RAD and he'll come and talk and be the kid who will tell you what it was like that his head would just take over and he couldn't figure out what to do. And it's, it's pretty incredible. And, and right now he thinks he's on a mission to become a therapist for kids with RAD. So I hope he keeps that up or he wants to go to culinary school. So I feel like he cooks for me, but. <laughs> yeah, b- both are a win. It sounds like, right? You can't lose with that. And your book is called Love Never Quits. Love Never Quits. And I have a website at loveneverquitsbook.com. Great. And tell me about Landry, because in the background, there's Landry. What's going on? Yeah. What was all that like for so, Landry? Yeah. Looking back, I, I feel like we should have gotten him a lot more therapy as well. But like I said, like when you're spending all this money on therapy, it's hard to justify more. Right. And you're not alone in that because the it's uh, almost, it's not that you don't necessarily see it, but the attention almost has to go to the rad kid because it's not just therapy. It's hardcore things are happening. Uh, you know, crisis emergencies, they need immediate and constant attention because things can get out of control to a level that is dangerous or scary. And so I think that just sucks it up that even if you do want to, or think of doing it, it's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he should have had more therapy. He has a great friend group and he is, he's like an old man. He's like a really (laughs) wise soul. Like we've always said he had an old soul from when he was like three years old. You could have these in-depth conversations with him. So he's wise beyond his years. And um, he was always kind of the mediator. Like he understood what was going on with Maddox sort of and he would be the one that would bridge the gap like he could talk to he would be a great therapist as well um but he could talk to Maddox and sort of help us bring him down sometimes but there were other times when he had to step in because Maddox was hurting me and it was just the three of us at home and he would you know physically remove him from me and wow help me like hold him down so he wouldn't hurt anybody or break anything. And that was really scary for him. And I feel horrible that that was his childhood, you know, like 
now the four of us get along great and like we have game nights and like you know things are going really well now right but um could you have imagined that looking back did you ever think you'd be at this point no no I remember like there was one day I was sitting on the floor of my closet crying and I I said god if I ever get out of this I'm going to make it my mission to help other families (laughs) And right. so that was the purpose of the book was just, if I can help one person shorten this curve, that's my goal. Exactly. That's the whole reason for my podcast. We have a daughter with rad, you know, I don't know if you've heard of rad advocates, but that's how it started. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I love them. They're good. Friends. Oh, so amazing. <laughs> but, and you know, Amy who runs uh, rad advocates, I always have her in my head when she is constantly saying, you know, it's going to take parents. It's going to take parents to make a change with mm-hmm. reactive attachment. Disorder. And uh, the Rad Advocate girls and I actually went and um, testified in front of Congress, which was really cool. When was that? That was, gosh, maybe a year ago. They were they were in committee and they had a bill that was specifically to help Rad families get easier access. And so uh, we, we all testified what it was like to live with a kid with rad. And at the end, the, the Congresswoman who was sponsoring the bill, she said, I'm so glad you guys came here because we had three guys that were not going to vote for this bill. And it was unanimous. They all voted for it. Well done. Yeah. And that same day, Colorado passed another law that, uh, or is, I think it's still in the works, but they're working on passing another law to make it so that insurance companies have to offer a mental health checkup every year, in addition to a physical health checkup. And I think we, we can all agree that everybody needs more therapy these days. Exactly. <laughs> going on the Capitol. Oh my gosh. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, well done. And that's a big thing too. It's really tough to find help. And then when you do, that's another good point is that it's often out of pocket for families. Yeah. So, so I'm a professor. That's my, that's my regular job <laughs> has nothing to do with psychology or rad or anything like that. What but. are you a professor of? Interior design. Oh, so. right. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but I, I went and got my master's in education and I, I studied online learning. So I have started putting online classes together for rad parents. Um, I have three done so far, but I'm waiting to like release them all together. So it'll be like a package deal but I'm trying to put together some classes on changing your mindset around rad and, you know, what does this diagnosis mean? Um, tips and tricks, you know, I'm going to have like six different like modules to it. I love that. Yes. So I'm working on that now, but I just got my job in May, like full-time gig. So now I'm like trying to just get used to one, you know, a full-time job <laughs> instead of plenty of part-time jobs. So gotcha. So on the back burner, but I'm going to get that done probably this year. That is great. And I love that you say mindset. That's what helped change me. And to be able to cope was changing my mindset about how I was parenting, what kind of parent or the situation, right? I had to, it took a lot of letting go and switching yeah. my mind that I can't control all this just save yourself. You're doing all the right things, but it allowed me to step back. And then I got my sanity back a little bit. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. Right. But that I had to just do a 360. 
And every day, like every day I would remind myself like three good things that he did that day so that I could try to focus more on the positive. Um, and every day I would say to myself, this is not his fault. This was something that that mean lady did to him. And, you know, my job is just to help him get out of it. So. Right. And that's hard. You know, that's what I think is necessary to do, but it's so hard to sometimes not to see them in that vulnerable state, to see your child in that vulnerable state because of all the things they're doing or how they're acting. So right. when you can do that, that's hugely helpful. Well, I, I felt like I, I had to say something, especially now that we're at this success point, because I was like, I would never have told people what was going on in my house while it was going on. Like my, my, my mom knew and my in-laws knew, but that's about like, a, a few close friends knew, right. but, you know, like you don't want to tell the world that your kid beats you up on a regular basis. Right. Your house is a war zone. Like that's not something I would ever have told people. I <laughs> so know I, I had to get to the other side in order to come back and start telling people what rad is all about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, you have an inspirational story to share and I'm happy to share that through the podcast for other oh, people to you. hear. So people can reach Gina. If you want to get in contact with her or learn more about her book, uh, her courses that are going to be happening, it's GinaHuman.com, and that's G I N A H E U M A N N GinaHuman.com. And, and everybody spells my name wrong. So you can also go to loveneverquitsbook.com. <laughs> Nobody spells that wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's really like Hoyman in German. Oh, it's is German it? Name, but yeah. So have I been saying it wrong the entire no, time? No, no, no. Okay. It's, we, we say human, but um, okay, in German, good. it's Hoyman. So. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh man. No, no, no. You're good. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well, is there anything else you want to share um, that, you know, I didn't know enough to ask? I don't think so. I, I did a TED talk like the weekend before the world closed down last year. Wow. <laughs> so that's timing. That, that's out there too with our whole story. The link is on my website. You can watch it there and there's okay. a link to the book and everything. So. So good. Well, I feel so lucky to have chatted and met you today. And I enjoyed meeting you too. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website, at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.